For several weeks now, we're digging into one of the hardest passages, but one of the best passages in the Bible as how to actually live out the Christian life in the push and shove of everyday life. Romans 7, 14 to 25. So, with no further delay, turn in your Bibles to Romans 7, 14 to 25, because I want you to see it, or get on your app and look at it. Not Pinterest, not your Facebook, look at the Bible if you've got Bible on your app. Romans 7, 14 to 25. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it's good. But now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Pause. Look at me. Paul is not making an excuse for sin. So don't be confused here that, okay, here's a passage that excuses sin. He's not, he's, he's giving you, he's breaking down and dissecting what is really going on within us so that you can fight more effectively. This is not a license to sin and go out and be a bigger, bolder sinner. He's just saying, make sure you understand this, what is actually going on within us. Verse 18, for I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing Good dwells. Now, in a Christian, if you're a Christian, who lives in you? Jesus Christ. Is he good? Oh, yeah. But what he's saying is, in my flesh, you still have this sinful body of flesh. Apart from Jesus Christ living in you, in your flesh, nothing good dwells. You still have a big problem. You still have battles to be fought. The war has been won, but there's going to be battles to be fought because in your flesh, nothing good dwells. And that flesh is going to rise up in conjunction with your enemy, Satan, from the outside and try to do some serious, serious damage to you if you'll let him. Verse 19. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through his son, Jesus Christ. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. After two weeks now of digging down into these verses, I hope I have convinced you that your biggest enemy, your biggest problem is your own sinful flesh. Long before Satan begins to set up a snare or a temptation for you and a trap and a pitfall, long before the world cries out to you with the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, the reason we are so easily drawn into that is you got a bigger problem already. Your own sinful flesh is still alive and well and at war with the Spirit of God living in you. What Romans 7, 14 to 25 is telling us is that your flesh and my flesh, even as Christians now, still hates the things of God. 
and tries to dump buckets of cold water on our first love for Christ. If the flesh can't get you to deny Christ altogether, it'll just do everything it can to get you to dial down on your love and passion for Christ. Listen to me, you don't have to be. Make sure you get this. You do not have to be hostile towards the things of God to be in great danger spiritually. Just cool towards your Savior. And that coolness is all the flesh and your enemy Satan is looking for. That coolness creates a space, a gap, a little opening in which your flesh works to get a foothold and from that foothold can then pivot in any number of directions deeper into your life. And it starts with a little space, just a little cap, just a little opening, just a little coolness towards your Savior and the things of God. That's how it works. And so here's what we're up against regarding our flesh and the enemy Satan. If you won't reject God altogether with atheism saying there is no God, bah, if you won't do that, then the flesh and Satan will just go after you with everything he can to extinguish your love and passion for Christ and leave you with nothing but an empty apathyism. If the flesh can't convince you of atheism, it'll just push you towards apathyism. If that word is new to you, it's simply the combination of two words, apathy and theism. Theism is a word about God. Apathyism. That word about God doesn't move you anymore. It doesn't stir you. You feel nothing about that. There's no passion, love, heat, fervor. See, apathyism is, yeah, you still believe in God and the things of God. You're just not very excited about it anymore at all. At all. Thoughts of your Savior, God, the things of God, elicit nothing more than a spiritual yawn from you. And that's right where Satan and your flesh, it's right where Satan and your flesh wants you. Because get this, an empty, cold Apathyism leaves you wide open to the deception and lies of your flesh and your enemy, Satan. I hope you know Satan is not giving up on you just because you put your trust in Christ. Oh, well, we lost another one. Let's go after everybody. No, 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 no. The ones that are caught up in drunkenness and trapped in drunkenness and trapped in immorality and trapped in a, in a world of lies and deception or whatever, he's got them right where he wants them. He leaves them alone. He, he has limited resources. Who is Satan, our enemy, and his forces coming after? You. He knows he can't take you to hell. But his intent is to see that you make no difference in this life while you're here. And see, here's the other, here's the other danger. If you stay in the land of apathyism long enough, you'll go down. And you'll go down hard 
All the while still declaring there is a God and professing to be a Christian. But the flame of your passion went out long ago. And so there was no fuel for the fight. So here's what I want to do in this message today. I want us to dig down a little more. And I want to answer this question. How does the flesh get this work done? You say, Brad, well, how does the flesh seek to do that? If it wants to extinguish our passion for Christ and throw buckets of cold water on our love and passion and fervor for Christ, how does the flesh work to do that? That's what I want to answer. And in answering that question, I want to show you what I think are two cold splashes of water. Two cold splashes of water the flesh tries to use to extinguish our passion and love for Christ. Here's the first, number one. Your flesh knows how to eat away at the edges of your passion and convictions without startling you by attacking you head on. Just eat away at the edges of your passion and convictions. You understand what I'm saying? See, the flesh knows it wouldn't stand a chance against us if it just stormed the castle of our heart and tried to just quench and extinguish our love for Christ in one fell swoop. We, we would recognize it. We would be startled. He doesn't, the flesh doesn't want to spook us. Doesn't want to startle us like a horse. Doesn't want to alarm us. So the flesh is patient. The flesh is willing to move slowly, incrementally, subtly. So that it doesn't alarm us. It doesn't want to spook us and cause us to flee to Christ. Or cause us to get in a small group with other believers at close range. Or cause us to reach out for help and accountability. And someone to meet with me one-on-one to help me with some real issues I'm struggling with. No, 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 no. So it doesn't come right at you. Nibbles away at the edges of your passion and conviction. Because the flesh knows how to extinguish a love for Christ the same way you eat an elephant. One little bite at a time. The flesh is willing to go slow. One little nibble at a time. And if you don't know this already, then get this. Get this, mark it down. In life, little things matter. And in spiritual life, little things matter even more. That'll save you heartache. That will, that will help you. If you don't hear anything else that I say today, and I hope you do, get this in life. Because see, our flesh is constantly saying, don't get worked up about the little stuff, not the little stuff. Don't be concerned yet. It's not time to be concerned yet. You can let that go. You can cross that line. You can blur that line. You can be sloppy. You can be careless. We just don't want to commit adultery. We just don't want to do something heinous. Oh, listen to me. In life, Little things matter. And in spiritual life, little things matter even more. Patrick Morley describes it well when he says, some people have spectacular failures where in an instant they abruptly burst into flames, crash and burn. But the more common way people get into trouble evolves from hundreds of tiny decisions which go undetected, that slowly, like water tapping on a rock, wear down a person's character. Not blatantly or precipitously, but subtly, 
Over time, we get caught in a web of cutting corners and compromise, self-deceit and wrong thinking, which goes unchallenged by anyone in our lives. See, make sure you know this. Whenever a man or woman goes down in flames, you can be assured that long before the explosion that we all saw, and say, oh my, long before the explosion that is so evident to all, their life was compromised by hundreds of little decisions. Little decisions and indiscretions and sloppy excuses that over time began to erode the character and integrity of that man or woman of God. While at the same time, extinguishing the love and passion for Christ that at one time had pumped heat and heart into what they said they believed. Heat and heart into what they said they believed. Listen to me. It doesn't just matter what you believe. I hope you know you're in, a church, you're in a church where we say it matters what you believe. You can't be fast and loose with the truth. You can't just say, oh, whatever. You have your truth. I have my truth. No, we have God's truth. And you better get it. You better submit to it. You better know it. So don't hear me saying it doesn't matter what you believe. But do hear me saying it doesn't just matter what you believe. It's essential that the flame of a personal passionate relationship with Jesus Christ continues to heat that truth. Continues to heat that truth like a little Bunsen burner with a blue flame underneath it. Because in this war against your flesh and your enemy Satan, cold, dead theology will never get it done. Cold, dead theology will never get it done. No matter how correct. No matter how correct. Oh, listen to me. Men and women with wonderful theology go down in flames every day. Do you know that? I hope you don't have this mindset. Oh my goodness, there's probably liberal Christians out there somewhere who no longer believe the word of God, who, who doubt Genesis, who don't think God created, that it all started with a big bang, who, who, who no longer think homosexuality is a sin, but it's an altar. Oh, there's those people out there with bad theology that are really in trouble. Men and women with wonderful, biblical, accurate, correct, solid doctrine go down in flames every day. Day. It doesn't just matter what you believe. It's essential that the flame of a personal, passionate relationship with Jesus Christ continues to heat that truth. Continues to heat that truth. Continues to heat that truth. Because it's only when that truth is being heated up by the personal, passionate relationship with Jesus Christ that it begins to be embraced and lived out, even imperfectly. You do not have to be perfect. But the truth that you say you believe has to be heated and lived out, even imperfectly. Two steps forward and one back. Three steps forward and a collapse and a fall, but up again. 
It's only when that truth is embraced and is being heated up by spirit-fed obedience that the flesh trembles. The flesh does not tremble at cold, dead, correct theology. You'll never win battles that way. It's not enough. It's not enough. No way. Truth that's been ignited by spirit-fed obedience is what the flesh trembles at. So let me ask you. You got any of that? Do you have truth in your life? What you say you believe, is that truth of what you say you believe being heated, heated, heated by a personal, passionate relationship with Jesus Christ that calls you and moves you to seek to live it out, live it out, live it out, step out on that truth, live it out and put it into practice. So here's what the flesh does. The flesh just tries to convince you to keep hearing the word of God. Flesh, flesh doesn't largely say, oh, don't listen anymore. Don't go listen to sermons. Don't do that. Don't get in small group. Don't. You would be al- alarmed by that. and think well, That doesn't sound right. The flesh tells you just keep hearing the word of God. That's right. Keep hearing the word of God. You need to hear the word of God. Keep hearing the word of God. Just don't do anything about it yet don't act on it don't make any plans to act on it don't take time to think about how you would apply it to your life and how you would live this out and what you might change or what needs to be reordered and sacrificed and if you need help here here's an area that's not right and that doesn't line up with God's word you don't take your life and actually take God's truth and begin to try to work it into your life and live it out no 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 just keep hearing God's word Maybe you're sitting here right now and say, Brad, what's the big deal? So maybe I don't do anything about it yet. What of it? I'll tell you what of it. Bible truth that is not acted on is extremely dangerous to the person who keeps trafficking in it. Bible truth that is not acted on is extremely dangerous to the person who continues to traffic in it. And here's why. Because if you do that, instead of it having what what it's supposed to have, give life and power and clarity and insights, it begins to have the opposite effect. It begins to have a deadening and a deceiving effect on you. Because you start to think you are someone you're not. And that you can do something you cannot. Like say no to sin when your flesh is screaming out for it. That's exactly what James 1 was talking about when it says, Oh, be doers of the word and not hearers only. And he doesn't stop there. He says, what's the next phrase? Anybody know? Deceiving yourself. Oh, if you just hear it, hear it. Hear it, hear it, hear it, hear it, hear it. And you never do it. You never even try to do it. Not even imperfectly. You never reach out and say, help me. This isn't right in my life. Help me. Let's talk about this. Here's what God's word says. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's what I'm thinking. You never do any of that. You just hear it, hear it, hear it, hear it. It will begin to have a deadening, deceiving effect on you that you start to think you are somebody you're not. 
and that you can do some things you cannot. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Turn with me to Luke chapter 6. I'm not just making this up. It's not just my opinion. My opinion matters not at all. Luke chapter 6. And begin in verse 46, but I want you to see in this passage. So I hope you have a Bible or an app where you can look at it. Because there is a phrase in verse 49 that I think captures exactly what the flesh hopes will begin to be the characterization of your life. What would characterize your life. It's what the flesh hopes would happen. And your enemy Satan hopes would happen. Begin in verse 46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord? Who's talking? Jesus. What? Uh, what? You'd think he would be saying, that's good, wonderful, you got it right, I am Lord. Now he hears them calling him Lord, but he's got a big concern. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I'll show you whom he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep. And laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it. For it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation. Against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. I hope you understand the word pictures he's giving, the metaphor of a house. House is your life. You're building a house. Your life is a house. Your life is either built on a rock and you've dug deep and there's a foundation that can withstand the storms and the attacks of the enemy and, and the rising up of your own flesh. Or it's just built on level ground with no foundation. And the difference maker, the game changer is not... Oh, we better get in a good church where we hear good sermons and true sermons and right doctrine. And they'd still be, leave the Bible and get in a small group where they're studying James McDonald's. The Lord changed my attitude before it's too late. And good books. and uh, Great start. But you could do all of that and still have a life that collapses. And everyone says, oh my, but he was a deacon. Oh my, but she was leading the women's ministry. Oh my, but that was our children's director. Oh my, but that was our worship leader that used to lead us in worship and in the presence of God. Oh my, but that was our pastor who used to preach his heart out. Yeah, yeah. You can traffic in the things of God and the word of God and still have a life that ends in destruction if you do Not do it. Perfectly? No. But I mean, you better be thinking, all right, here's what God's saying. How do I do that? How do I live that out? How do I put that into practice? What needs to change in my life? Where do I need to repent? Where do I need help? Show me, show me, show me, show me. I'm not just wanting to hear stuff. Four words that your flesh hopes will characterize your life. Did you see it in verse 49? Four of the scariest words I think you can read in the Bible. Heard and did. Say it. Say it again. Heard and did nothing. Four of the scariest words in the Bible. Because they have the most horrific effects on a life that is played out with that. 
Listen, the person who's in greatest danger, this may surprise some of you, the person who's in greatest danger today is not the person who's never heard God's word. Did you know that? It's the person who has heard it and heard it and heard it Again and again and again and again. You grew up hearing it. Some of you were born here. Have grown up here. I knew you when you were little. I knew you when you were nursing. And now you're 18, 17, 20. Now maybe you're married. You've heard it, heard it, heard it, heard it, heard it. But if your life is characterized by and they heard and did nothing, you're at risk. You don't have the fuel that you need to fight your flesh and your enemy Satan. No way. Paul Tripp describes it well when he says, delay is disobedience in a tuxedo. You understand what he's saying? You just dress up your disobedience by saying, I'm going to do it, but not yet. I'm going to think about that, but not now. Delay is disobedience in a tuxedo. Delay gives you room to rebel against the authority of God while telling yourself that you have every intention to obey and in so doing, you've eased your conscience when actually it needs to be troubled. I've quoted it before, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer's insightful quote about our fleshly desires and temptation fits so well here. He says, the flesh burns and is in flames. It makes no difference whether it's sexual desire or ambition or vanity or desire for revenge or love of fame and power or greed for money. Joy in God is in course of being extinguished. And we seek all our joy in the creature. At this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality. Satan does not here fill us with hatred of God but with forgetfulness of God. The lust thus aroused envelops the mind and will of man in the deepest darkness. The powers of clear discrimination and of decision are taken from us. It is here that everything within me rises up against the word of God. Your flesh will not try to fill you with hatred of God. That would startle you like a racehorse. You would snort and look for help and say, I cannot believe I was starting to think that. Uh Uh-uh. We'll not try to fill you with hatred of God, just forgetfulness of God and coolness towards the things of God and delay in obeying the word of God. Dress up your disobedience in the tuxedo of delay. So let me ask you right now, Never mind me, my words. I believe that there is a Holy Spirit. Spirit of the living God, third person of the Trinity. A person, not a mist, not a fog, not a vapor. A person, Holy Spirit, that lives. That I pray every week will preach a better sermon through me than what I've written. So I want to ask you right now, as I've been talking, what is the Holy Spirit of the living God putting his finger on in your life that he's telling you you just haven't done anything about it yet? What is it you've been saying? That's not a big deal. That's a little deal. Ah, ah, ah. What? 
In life, little things matter. In spiritual life, little things matter even more. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Thank God for the stirring of his Holy Spirit. Thank God for conviction. It may not always be there. When he convicts, when he moves, when he stirs, when he, when he sheds a floodlight on your soul, when he puts his finger on a place in your life, even if it's painful, awkward, uncomfortable, you don't want to deal with it, thank God for it. It means you're alive and you're his child. Respond. And respond immediately. And if you're confused and say, it's a mess, I'm convicted, but I don't know what. You're in a church. You happen to be in a church that's not perfect. But we happen to be one of the few churches, I think, that's left that will actually come alongside you and help you through messy stuff, one-on-one, in free biblical counseling, and say, let's live this out. Let's flesh this out. I'll hold on to you. I'll walk with you. There's a lot of churches that when you have a real big fat mess, please don't call them. They don't know. They just sing great songs about God, preach great sermons about God. But when you have a real problem, don't call them. They don't know. We don't have all the answers, folks. But we're trying to live out the word of God. This says, when you see a brother or sister who's overtaken in a sin, you who have the spirit of God, come alongside and restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourselves, lest you also be tempted. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. We've been trying for 18 years to do Galatians 6, 1 and 2, not just preach great sermons about God and what God's word says, but to help you live it out. What is God putting his finger on in your life, but you just haven't done anything about it yet? Watch out. Because if your flesh can get you there, Just forgetfulness of God, a little bit of coolness towards the things of God, and disobedience dressed up in a tuxedo. If he can get you there, he can take you places that you never meant to go, keep you longer than you ever meant to stay, and wreak more havoc in your life than you ever wanted to experience. All the while, while you say, I believe in God, I'm a Christian. Mm Mm-hmm. But listen to me, if the flame of a personal and passionate love for Christ is diminished or snuffed out in your life, you have no safety and strength in fighting sin. Truth has to be heated, heated, heated up by spirit-fed obedience. Number two, second cold splash, your flesh wants you to turn your spiritual life into a formal affair. Pompous, professional, outward, external. Do all the right things. Get in a small group. Show up at church. But no power. And oh, please, nothing personal and passionate. Don't actually get passionate about this. Don't get excited about this. Don't don't really be gripped by any of this. No, 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 no. Personal and passionate terrifies The flesh. Flesh is not afraid of sparkle and glitter and Christian sound bites. Where you still know all the right things to say at all the right time. And you still show up at all the right places and do some of the right things. But it's all just outward, external, going through the motions. The Bunsen burner blue flame of love and passion for Christ. It's been snuffed out a long time ago. 
So your flesh, listen to me, won't tell you not to worship, not to pray, not to read the Bible. It just wants you to do all those things with your mind disengaged, out of gear, just going through the motions outwardly. With the flame of your heart snuffed out. And maybe you're saying, well, Brad, isn't that better than just running wild like a hellion? Wouldn't it be better to just keep these outward external things in place? Let me get you to answer that question for yourself after I read you a couple verses. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. Paul is describing a group of people and he says, quote, here's what these people are. They have a form of godliness but deny its power. Okay, hang out with them, be like that, no big deal. He doesn't say, and that's okay because that's better than just running wild. Oh no, Paul says, and from such people, turn away. He's telling you to turn away from people like that. Imagine what he would say about you being that person. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. From such people, turn away. That word form in the Greek right there, the original language, means outline, a resemblance, but empty in the middle. No substance, no heart, no, just an outline, just the silhouette. It looks right. No substance, no heart. And so you'll just be shadow boxing with your sin and you will go down in a hurry. If, if your Christianity is nothing more than a silhouette, an outline, empty in the middle, no heart, no passion, no flame, no love for Christ, you'll never get it done. How about Matthew 15, 7 and 9, where Jesus rebuked the religious leaders of his day saying, hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying these people draw near to me with their mouths, And honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me. Your flesh is working overtime to find ways to reduce your worship and your relationship with Christ to frozen and formal. Frozen and formal. What about you this morning? Spring it home. Is your relationship with Christ and your Christianity just a frozen, formal, outward, external thing? And if you were to be honest, would you have to say, yeah, I'm no atheist, but honestly, are you nothing more than a card-carrying apatheist? Thoughts of your Savior, thoughts of God, the things of God, They elicit nothing more than a yawn from you. And if you were honest, as you look at your life just now, would you say, I'm looking, Brad, but I don't see much of a flame. And honestly, my Christianity, my life leans more in the direction of frozen and formal. There's no passion. So I don't want to leave you there. With the few minutes that remain, I want to answer this question. If you're you're thinking, and I hope some of you are, how do I light that flame again, Brad? How do I get the flame lit? Or maybe you're saying, I'm not in trouble, but ah, you've scared me. I don't ever want that to happen. How do I keep heat blowing on the truth I say I believe, blowing on my correct theology? That's what I want to answer with the ministry remain, with my third point. Number three, your flesh cannot get traction in your life in the face of daily, deliberate doses of delighting in your lover and husband, Jesus Christ. Your flesh cannot get traction and get anything going in the face of daily, deliberate 
I've worded this very intentionally, folks. Daily, deliberate doses of delighting in your lover and husband, Jesus Christ. Remember where we started in Romans 7? We're we're in a nitty-gritty, ugly, fighting passage. Get down and get dirty. But chapter 7 began, those first six verses. You remember how Paul started us off? In those first six verses, Paul was declaring to us in verse 4, you would become dead to the law through the body of Christ, not so that you can run around spiritually single and hit the singles bars, that you may be, what was the word? Married to another, even to him who is risen from the dead. You are married to the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is your husband, lover, But you're going to have to cultivate that relationship. And it's going to take time and sacrifice just like any other meaningful relationship you want in your life. I can't tell you how many Christians, they just think it can get done some other way. Like you can just go without reading your Bible, go without praying, go without getting close to other believers, go without worshiping, go without playing praise music, just go without all of this. And somehow the flame is going to stay alive and they're going to be able to fight sin. No, you won't. It's a war. It's a war. Battles are to be fought. You're going to have to scrap and fight and carve out time. And I fight. You know what my biggest fight is? To go to bed early enough to get up when I have to get up to meet with my Lord and Savior, husband, lover, Jesus Christ. I don't want to go to bed that early. My life is so busy. Sometimes I've got meetings all the way up till 8.39. I just got home. I want to chill out. I want to read a book. I want to watch some TV. I want to, and I'm up to 11, 11, 30, 12. Easily I can stay up that late. But I can't get up the next morning. And I would be getting up just in time to suck down a cup of really good coffee, head out the door, (laughs) on my way to church. And my prayer life would consist of I-75 South praying in the car on the way here. And then I say to myself, I'm a pastor, doggone it. I study the scriptures all day long. I'm getting ready to lead a small group. I'm working on a sermon. I'm going to counsel a few people this week. Surely that's enough for my life. Oh, what a lie. Brad Bigney, just like you, needs unhurried time in the presence of my lover, savior, husband, Jesus, just for me. And so do you. How do I do this? I am not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but for almost 30 years now, I want to share with you what I've tried to do, not perfectly, for almost 30 years now, that has kept me alive on my very worst days, not just days, weeks, not just weeks, stretches of months. Did you know that your pastor has stretches of months that I am fighting like through quicksand and molasses, like with a cloud of despair hanging over me for my very life to keep being a husband, father, and to be your pastor? Maybe that would surprise you, but I want you to know that. I am not here after 18 years because just glory. This is just, it just happens. I have had to fight. I have wanted to abandon the faith. I have wanted to abandon this church. I have wanted to run away from my family and the circumstances and the trials and the difficulties. I hope that doesn't shock you. How have I not? I want to share with you how I have not, by God's grace. Number one, you have to have unhurried time in the presence of your Savior. Lover, 
That means I get up early enough to read the Bible, to think about what I'm reading, and to prayerfully think about how it applies to my life. Let me say something that may surprise you, but some of you need it. It is not how much you read the Bible. It is how well you taste and savor and chew on and digest what you read that will keep the flame alive. Heat blowing on the truth, I say, I believe. Oh, listen to me. I'd love for you to read through the Bible every year. That's what I do. But listen to me. I would tell you today, stop it. Don't ever try it again. If you say, I feel like I have to read so fast and there's so many chapters I have to read and I always feel behind and I'm just checking off these boxes and I feel so ashamed that I'm behind. Stop it. If it takes you nine years to read through the Bible, but you can go slow enough that you can taste and savor and chew on and digest some of it, then do it that way for the sake of your soul and the glory of God. You've got to have it in you. That's what it's about. I meet with my Lord in the morning with an open Bible and you have to be engaged with your mind and think your mind have to be, has to be engaged if any heat is ever going to make it to the heart and keep that Bunsen burner flame of my passion for Christ alive. And let me tell you the other way I've done this. This is going to take some of you back, but by memorizing large portions of Scripture. I'm not even at this point talking about verses, as good as that would be for some of you. I'm talking about portions, like six verses in a row, or eight verses in a row, or ten verses in a row, or even... Gasp, a chapter. Yeah. The older I've gotten and the harder the life has gotten and the more that Satan has come after me and the more I feel pressed and overwhelmed and sinking and like I cannot do this, the more I have needed more than a verse. I need the context. I need the flow of thought. I need the argument. I need a bigger context of what God is saying to me so I can soak in it and get it. And memorizing slows me down so that I... I'm not good at this, folks. It takes forever. So what? The goal isn't to memorize it and say, done. It's the process of fighting to memorize that changes my life. Because I get phrases. I get When you memorize, it slows you down and you see things you weren't seeing before. You make connections with phrases and clauses that you weren't seeing before. And you're able to squeeze all the good Oh, that you can out of words and phrases and sentences and paragraphs. And that's what changes your life and fuels your fight against sin. I wish I had 30 more minutes to tell you my favorite passages that I have memorized. I've always memorized scripture, folks. But what I'm sharing with you is passionate and fairly new. Three years ago in December 2011, I hit the wall And it was the closest I've ever come to thinking, I'm out. I can't do this anymore. I'm overwhelmed. Family issues, church issues. And I went away for three days of prayer and cried out to the Lord. And I determined among many things he showed me to begin to memorize large portions of scripture. Not to show off, but to survive and to finish well. And it has changed my life. 
I can tell you absolutely without hesitation, more than anything else I've done over the last three to five years, memorizing large portions of scripture has made a bigger difference than anything else, period. Getting close to other believers in a small group at close range is a distant second. And you know what I think about that. I want you to do that. Memorizing scripture has had a bigger effect on me physically, emotionally, spiritually. There are times that I am, I am literally, I, I, I feel the cloud lift, the cloud lift, the darkness open, light come. I get happy. There was, a, there was a morning just two weeks ago that I spent 45 minutes crying out to the Lord around a passage of scripture because I was so terrified, so overwhelmed, so discouraged, so to the point of I can't do this. And God met with me through phrases and words and he changed me and enabled me to go forward and fight the good fight of faith. But it was a fight and it was centered around his word. You You gotta have this. Let me give you just one example. I wish I could walk you through six or eight. Philippians 4, 6. I grew up in the church. Who doesn't know? Be anxious for nothing. But in everything with prayer and thanksgiving and supplication, make your request known to God. And the peace of God who passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds of Christ Jesus. Groovy. I knew that. And I was still about to give up and I was overwhelmed with worry with my mind going in a thousand directions. Here's what I'm telling you. Take a verse that you know that you think is good and back it up and stretch it out. Back it up and stretch it out. Back up and catch a few verses leading up to it and stretch it out and go beyond that verse that you know. Watch what happens. Watch what happens. I backed it up to verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be evident to all. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. Too often we start in the middle of something. God met me with three words and squeezed all the good out of them into my heart and soul. The Lord is near. Because when you're worried and anxious and overwhelmed and just want to run scared, you can say there still is a God, but he doesn't seem very near. He's not thinking about me. He's not aware of my situation. I am on my own. I'm being orphaned. I have been left. That's what the flesh tells you, and that's what your enemy lies to you about. God used three words to keep me alive. The Lord is near. And you know what? The phrases he grips you with and squeezes into your life may not even be the same ones of me. Maybe that doesn't move you at all. That doesn't offend me. He'll meet each one of us right where we are. But I'm telling you what, scoot yourself up to the banquet table of his word and don't just speed read it in a cursory way. Do whatever you have to do to slow it down, to taste and savor and chew on and digest and say, God, plant it deep within me. Bear fruit, cause it to take root because I need fuel for the fight. I cannot do this on my own. Meet with your Savior in an unhurried way with his word open in your lap. Get close to other believers who are hungry and passionate to keep the flame of life in their life as well. Charles Jones said two things. Five years from now, you'll be pretty much the same person you are except for two things. The books you've read and the people you get close to. 
starting with this book. But other good books, biographies have changed my life. You realize I'm not the first one to suffer. Wah, 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 shut up. Other people have suffered. Read biographies, that'll help you. Read history. Read this and then read other good books and then get close to other Christians who are hungry and passionate to keep their own flame alive. Those two things will determine whether your flame of passion for Christ stays alive. And that flame or that no flame is going to determine how you fight or don't fight. You will never win against the flesh with cold, stark, correct theology. There must be passion for Christ. Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for its truthfulness. Lord, thank you for the spirit of God living in us that we're not alone, we're not orphaned. And oh God, use the truth of your word and the power of your spirit to lead us in spirit-fed obedience as we seek to live out your word and put it into practice. Oh, may we not be, Luke 6, 49, heard and did nothing. Oh, may we not be card-carrying apathists who go to Grace Fellowship and serve and say all the right things. But the flame of passion for Christ was extinguished long ago. Help us, oh God, to stay alive, to finish well. By your grace and for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.